This is Veselin Topalov, and you are listening to the full English breakfast with Lawrence Trent and Stephen Gordon. This is episode number 26 of the Full English Breakfast. I'm Macaulay Peterson. I'm looking at the top 10 list, and we have almost gotten every single Grandmaster on it to do our intro. Very proud of that. Of course, the top 10 list fluctuating quite a lot. Lots of tournament news to get to, and here uh, to break down the last few weeks of chess action with me are Grandmaster Stephen Gordon and International Master Lawrence Trent. How's it going, guys? How we doing? Been a while. Yeah, Stephen, you've been like on the road more than I have lately. I've been a serious chess player. So I played Oslo. Started well, but ended quite badly. Then a day later, I was on a flight to Indonesia, strangely enough. I mean, that was a a bit of a random one for me. That went pretty terribly. I've never played um, so far away, and I really struggled to cope with the jet lag. So, not a successful one. And then I had a week off before playing in Cap Dagda in the Open tournament there, which was running alongside... And the main event, this uh, Karpov knockout that was going on, which had Ivanchuk and Karpov in. So it was a really nice watch, but um, I'm very glad to be back at home now, having a few days rest before we've got to meet up in London. Indeed. McCauley, are you looking forward to it? Yeah, uh, I think it's going to be the best one yet. Oh, yeah. Man, I used to like chess, guys. I used to really like turning up at the board and playing a game. I played 29 games in about 40 days. Pretty ridiculous. You used to love it, but now you have to kill it. Well, I still love it, but, you know, it's been a little bit of a love-hate relationship the last couple of months. You know that Guns N' Roses song? I used to love her, but I had to kill her. Uh, I do know it, but I, I had good memories of it until then. No, I thought it was a beautiful rendition, Macaulay. All right, well, in lieu of uh, pub talk, we're going to try something else. It's uh, something from the comments. This one comes from Mamed Yarov fan, who pointed out after our Olympiad show, despite what the FEB suggests, GM Mamed Yarov had, in fact, the best rating performance in the 2012 Chess Olympiad in Istanbul. His rating performance was 28.80 with 8.5 out of 10. Oops. <laughs> we should have known this because, of course, Mamed Yarov won the board prize. Mamed Yarov was on board three. Right. Oh, they do stuff like Azerbaijan because Mamed Yarov's their guy who just goes and wins games. You know, they put him lower in the team. So, yeah, I mean, we owe, we owe Shaq an apology there. He's obviously had a massive 8.5 out of 10. Now for some news roundup. All right, so I just came back uh, from uh, Bucharest most recently and the uh, Kings tournament, which was a slightly simplified version of its former self. Only four players, uh, but still it was some interesting names. We had player of the year almost, Fabiano Caruana, who's been uh, you know on hyperdrive his last uh, five or six events. Uh, Ivan Chuk, then we had Topalov, hot off his uh, London Grand Prix win, and Nisipiano, the Romanian number one. The one thing I'll say about it is that if you just look at the number of draws, 
there were 10 out of 12 games drawn. Mm. But uh, that doesn't really tell much of the story of the tournament because pretty much all the, the draws were quite hard-fought, quite interesting back-and-forth affairs. They did have a no-draws-before-move-30 rule, but unlike in London, we didn't really even see a lot of move repetitions. No, it was all hard-fought games, and um, I don't think that score table really tells the story of who was who was on form. Caruana was really pressing in a lot of games, and, well, he deserved a little more, I feel. Um, also, Nisipiani was in a position to put some people away. At certain stages, so you know, very difficult tournament. But yeah, it looks like the ch- the Chuck the Chuck monster came out on top again um, after this tie break. Yeah, it has to be said that um, Topolov was winning that first game. Mm. You know, but it's I mean, like uh, if Antrit was in a tie break, also in Cap Dagda, and uh, anything can happen. It's just kind of random. I think there were there were two blitz games against Karpov that he had where Karpov lost on time in a winning position. Then in the final game, Ivanchuk lost on time when he was winning. Cap Dagda, that's an open tournament and an invitational tournament simultaneously, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it's Karpov's knockout and it's got eight players in. They play a bit of a round robin, then they go into semis and a final. Right, well, that was the funny thing is that Karpov won his own trophy. Yeah, yeah. It must be nice when you do that sort of thing. Yeah. When do you think we'll have a Trent Memorial? I hope we won't have a Trent Memorial. Not too, not too bloody quickly, I hope. <laughs> There's no bad omens there. It's not a Karpov Memorial, so uh, we could have, we could have oh, a trophy we... without dying. Sorry, guys. The Trent Celebratory Tournament, that's, that's more like it, isn't it? Where you have to do, like, on-the-spot commentary. But just in case I do kick the bucket, will you guys and hopefully the FEB... Listeners, will you donate to, to getting a tournament set up for me? <laughs> Let's see, we're going to do the raffle later in the show. We've, we've tried uh, asking for a donation, so maybe that's the answer. Maybe we just need to donate now for the Trent uh, Memorial Tournament. I'm uh, scheduling it for circa 2062, so if you're available. Man, you're, you're going to go out at a young age. Is that oh, young? Sorry. He's done well with that, hasn't he? 75, 76? Yeah, I'm happy with 75. You know, seven, in 2060, 75 is going to be like 45 oh, now. That's the new 45, is all right, so we're backing up. We're going back in time. Uh, Bucharest, Kapdag, the Then we had the uh, European Team Championship in Elat, won by Sokar. That's the uh, the Azerbaijani team. So uh, Mamed Yara fan was probably happy about that. Well, you would have thought so, yeah. I mean, it's a great tournament, actually. And um, I think the first thing that has to be said about that whole tournament, Steve, and I'm sure you'll agree with me here, is congratulations to Grandma Simon Williams, friend of the show, who beat Mr. Boris Gelfand, super grandmaster for many years, he beat him with the black pieces in a Dutch defence. It's pretty impressive stuff, isn't it? And, uh, you know, no one had managed to take down Gelfand with the black pieces in the whole World Championship cycle, I believe. So, you know, he should be really chuffed with that performance. Really fantastic game as well. I read something that said, Ivanchuk was having a look at the game afterwards and he couldn't really understand Simon's moves, which uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how we should take that. I'd probably take that as a compliment. But yeah, that's an awesome result for one of our English guys, so I'm really pleased to see that. But, you know, moving back onto this uh, Sokar team, since when do you get to play with Kamsky on board five in a team? I mean, what's going on there? They've got him on board five, 
And he scored six out of seven. Yeah, I mean, he's just a monster, isn't he? I mean, he, he as well. I mean, Gutters, well, his rating's over 27.50 now. He's suddenly shot right up, hasn't he? He's actually the second highest rated in their team. They're playing with Topolov and Grishuk on three and four as well. Yeah, it's a pretty sick team. Yeah, it's a pretty sick team. Pretty sick team. I guess you gotta have to have a heavy bankroll. Yeah. Someone's had the wallet out. Someone's been waving their wallet about... In a big way, yeah. But, you know, don't look now, but Kamsky is actually number one in the U.S. Maybe we could get him to do an intro, Macaulay. How about that? We've had him. Gatter, we honestly. had him do it this summer. Did we? Was it this summer? Have we already had Gatter? Yeah, because we had an interview clip with him uh, from Amsterdam, the Science Park Tournament. We're getting spoiled We've here, aren't we? We are. Returning to the actual tournament, though, there's one thing we should say about it. What a competition. I mean, really. I mean, you're looking at... Pretty much all the top grandmasters in the world there, bar Kramnik, Aronian, Carlson. That's it. So I mean, it was it's a super tournament. What an occasion as well. What a chance for these lower rated teams to be able to play against these super grandmasters in the first couple of rounds, and then after that, you just get some some serious chess. You know, Sokar. They were trailing St. Petersburg, I think, according to the tiebreak. So they had to beat Tomsk. To win it, they they couldn't just win it. I think they had to win by a certain margin, and then they end up winning five one. So they beat a team with Ponomariov, Arashchenko, Bolligan, Inarkiev, Motliev, Kismatulin five one. I mean that's just a battering. Well, you know, and about that, I I just wanted to bring up something that was making waves in some of the Russian language, uh, you know, gossip halls, which was a suggestion that maybe there was some kind of game buying going on in the last round, which I don't have any information about either way, but I would strongly be skeptical just because of, uh, well, of some of the players, uh, well, especially uh, Ponomaryov. I don't see Ponomaryov throwing a game with White to Rajivov uh, in a million years. So if somebody has some information uh, to, to the contrary, please let me know. But uh, I don't see any reason to give credence to this kind of rumors, and it's always annoying when you hear about something uh, that some kind of, you know, totally unsubstantiated uh, serious accusations like that. Well, I hadn't heard of these either. No, I hadn't heard anything. It's sad to hear that there's, um, you know, there's some rumours flying about. I mean, that my immediate reaction would be, uh, you know, stop talking nonsense. All these guys are serious. Um, They'd never do that. It'd be a real shame if they did, but I, I don't believe for one second that that's the case. Well, of course, cheating uh, in chess, whether it's uh, consulting a computer or throwing games, is uh, something that uh, is a potential problem, a potential serious problem for the sport. Um, it's good to be vigilant about discouraging that and, and trying to crack down on it when it does occur. There was one case uh, that came up in the Bundesliga, and, well, Stephen, I was wondering your uh, take on this. Right, so we're talking about Grandmaster Falco Bindrich, and he was playing in the uh, Bundesliga for Eppingen. For Eppingen. Do you know the uh, the guy? It wasn't one of your the matches you were you were participating in. I don't, um, I don't know him personally. I mean, I'm, I've seen Falco a few a few weekends where um, our teams have been at the same venue. You know, seems like a nice lad. I believe at the moment he's he's suspended from his team until um, you know the whole debacle's been sorted out. Basically, he was playing Stefan Siebricht and uh, was suspected of going to the bathroom to consult. Uh, a chess program on his phone and when the arbiter asked him 
to, uh, to turn over his phone to show if there was any uh, chess positions on it, he refused, citing uh, you know, personal privacy concerns. Um, so, so one question is, now, in the Bundesliga rules, you're not prevented from bringing a phone to a match, but you are required to have it be off uh, during the game, and if asked, you have to, uh, to show it to the arbiter. So he, by refusing, he was then forfeited under the rules. But the question is, well, I mean, is there any reason to have a smartphone at a chess match, not just the elite level or, or a national competition, but even a, a Bundesliga, I mean, a professional uh, league? Well, I think, I think Lawrence is the same as me, you know. We're, we're quite paranoid about taking our phones to the venue. You know, we've seen some fairly tragic things happen, like Short lost a game in a tournament we were in in Liverpool, um, and his phone was off, but he left an alarm set for a certain time, and even though the phone was off, it started making a noise at, say, four o'clock in the afternoon. So, you know, I'm I'm really uh, I'm really careful when I take a phone. In fact, I I'll, I'll take the battery out and I'll put the battery on one side of the desk and the phone on the other. It's a precaution. So, so if your opponent saw you taking your battery, putting it back in the phone, and then walking to go to the bathroom, that might arouse some suspicion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, if I wanted to cheat, then I'm not going about the strategy in the right way. Um, I've got to say that. But you know, something Falco said in in his defence was that he couldn't show the phone because he had some business stuff on, and he'd he'd lose his job or something, you know, I, I find that sort of thing very difficult to believe, but even in any case, maybe that's a reason to have his phone on him if his, if his work requires him to be on call at every single moment of the day, then. Well, presumably he couldn't receive a call while he's actually in the game either. I mean, that's got to be yeah, uh, against the rules. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's there's been a little bit of discussion about this um, between our team. I think it was the opinion that, if he has cheated, then he's been very smart about the way he's, he's dealt with things because by not showing them the phone, there's no proof that he could have cheated. There's just speculation. Whereas if he'd handed over the phone and there's something there, then, you know, he can, he can get himself a ban. Whereas, you know, it's all up in the air now. We'll never know. If he wasn't cheating, then it was a poor decision not to show the phone. I mean, I, I guess he's arguing, you know, it's human rights... Why should I have to show my phone to you? But the arbiter seems to be pretty lenient to me. I I believe he said you can show me your phone, and if there's if there's nothing chess related on the phone, you're fine to carry on your game. I didn't think that was a rule. I thought if you if you're doing anything with your phone, then that's that's it, game over. So the, the arbiter had been pretty lenient anyway. Falco refused. Apparently, his team asked him to show the phone, and he still refused, and so he gave up the game. Well, no phones in Bilbao. Not only that, they're in a glass-encased booth so they can't even hear the outside. This has uh, now become an annual event, although originally part of a grand slam of tournaments, which is essentially collapsed following the loss of Linares and the Entel Masters and Sofia before that. Uh, of the original Grand Slam members, only Vaikanze, the Tata Steel tournament, uh, remains. And this uh, Kings tournament, uh, which uh, just took place in Bucharest, was going to take place in June, but uh, they had some financial trouble, so it was postponed, and therefore the uh, the composition of the Grand Slam final in, in Bilbao and Sao Paulo this year was essentially all 
uh, nominees of the organizers on the basis of just recent tournament performances and uh, and rating, etc. Yeah, big field, wasn't it, Lawrence? Yeah, it was. Carlson, Aronian, Anand, that's already, you know, makes it super, super strong. Uh, and then to have Karyakin and Karwana and then Vallejo, the local lad, meant that it was actually a really good tournament. And, uh, you know, yet again, our, our man... Mr. Carlson, Superman, comes out on top. And not only that, he was a game away in the last round for making history because he had black against Aronian in this variation, this uh, Queen's Indian line, which they've both played extensively. He didn't quite manage to win, but if he had won, he would have beaten Gary Kasparov's all-time record. So he got within an inch of doing that but he'll have another chance to genuinely make history i mean this is a big we can talk about inflation all day but fact of the matter is that he could potentially have the highest rating of all time and we could be there to witness it he might even reach a peak that doesn't get surpassed for many many years um i mean kasparov did it in what 2000 i think it was 2851 uh, you know, we might have to wait another 10 years. Who knows? But uh, so it's really exciting. But clearly, just just returning to the tournament, again, just a very exciting tournament. A lot of decisive results. A lot of hard-fought games. Well, it's really a two-man uh, race for towards the end. Caruana and Carlson finishing tied. Yeah, I mean, because the first part of it was in Sao Paulo, of course, wasn't it? So we had the first half of the tournament in Sao Paulo, where Caruana started to run away with things. He beat Magnus in the first round with White, notched up one more win against... Uh, actually, it was two more wins. Uh, he beat Kayakin, and he beat Vallejo. So by the time around five had finished, you know, he had three wins and two draws and was basically just, you know, odds on favourite to, to win the whole thing. But then as soon as they got to Bilbao, you had that crucial game, Carlson Caruana. And if Caruana holds a draw in that game, probably he's going to win the tournament uh, simply because three rounds left. He's already got three wins on the board. He would just have to probably halve out in the rest of them or maybe notch up one win. Yeah, Magnus was his closest competitor then as well. And, you know, and Magnus, he managed to beat Caruana. And then the following day, he beat Vallejo, who... And Vallejo, I know, I don't know if you guys know, but he's been very down about performance there. And um, Yeah, he's talking about retiring. He's talking about retiring, and let's hope he doesn't because he's just a fantastic player, so creative. He's done so much for chess as well, not only in Spain, but got to remember that he seconded a lot of these guys and, and a lot of these novelties we'll see and these creative avenues are, are, are thanks to Viejo, actually, in his work. So it would be really sad to see him retire so young, but um, he he had a tough time. So Carlson beat him, and then, of course, uh, round nine, you had three wins, three decisive results. Kayakin beat Viejo, Carlson beat Anand, and Caruana took Aronian out. Now, everybody looking was thinking, well, Aronian's probably going to hold against Caruana here, but he pulled it out the bag to then lead to a final game, round 10, where all the games were drawn. So in the end, it ended up being Caruana and Carlson on 6.5 out of 10, according to traditional cross-table, 17 out of 10. Both got massive performances. Caruana gained 16 points. That's a huge tournament, to gain 16 points against that field is absolutely superb, and he, he shot right up. 
And so they, they had to fight it out. But this is a game where Carlson just comes into his own. I mean, in that tie break, he got two out of two. I mean, he didn't even go further than two games. So Carlson won it. The kid's just unstoppable. I read something where Kariakin had said um, he thought it was a bit of a mistake for Caruana not to be pressing in the 10th round or at least trying something against Vallejo. Um, but to go to this tiebreak with Carlson, you know, he, he felt as though Magnus was a big favourite for that. This performance in the first week from Caruana is just unreal, isn't it? In fact, you know, most of his 16 rating points came from that first week. He's been really awesome. You know, I, an opinion that I keep hearing from uh, some of the better players is that, um, you know, Caruana sort of epitomises this new computer generation. He's... Um, you know, it doesn't. It's not so clear that his his understanding's as good as some of the other top players. But as far as calculating ability goes, I think that's where he's getting the edge over these guys. It looks like he's seen so much in his games, and it doesn't matter if it's neat or pretty. You know, if it's an ugly position, which is good, then he'll go into it, and it's really working well for him the way he's playing right now. I think a lot of top players are finding him quite difficult to deal with. Well, I want to leave you with a quote that I liked from the world champion Vishianand, who had uh, a bit of a slump. He's had a bit of a slump uh, in tournament play for a while now, actually, but uh, not breaking out of it uh, in Bilbao. And at one point in one of the uh, post-game press conferences, he was asked whether chess makes him feel like a scientist or an artist, uh, you know, in addition to a, a sportsman. And he was quoted as saying, in effect, that sometimes chess makes you feel like a scientist, sometimes makes you feel like an artist, and sometimes like an imbecile. All right, well, let's take care of a little bit of business here. A little bit of business, you know what I mean? You got an offer I can't refuse, right? Well, we made an offer to our fans that uh, some of them couldn't refuse, at least, which is uh, we've got some prize drawings that we have engineered as a raffle. And we went through this uh, on the last episode, but uh, just uh, for the new people... The way it works is if you donate to the show through the PayPal donate button on the feb.com on our website, for every $1 or currency equivalent thereof that you donate, you get one raffle point, which is good in perpetuity for our prize drawings. Uh, each show for the foreseeable future, we're going to, uh, to be giving away a really hot prize uh, to all the pool of people who have donated to make the show possible and uh, so we're going to give away our first one right now. To set this up, the Zurich Chess Challenge was just announced for next year, for next February. And that's going to be having uh, Kramnik and Caruana and Anand and Gelfand mm. playing in nice. that. Uh, Big tool. They've doubled the field. Last year it was a match between Kramnik and Aronian. And we have one of the signed... Uh, official postcards from that event signed by both Kramnik and Aronian to give away right now. So from the pool of raffle points, I have selected a random number. And uh, from this random drawing, the winner of our first raffle for the Kramnik-Aronian signed postcard is... Martin Gill. And... I should note that Martin Gill made us a very generous donation, which garnered him quite a significant amount of raffle points. Wow. Uh, so uh, kudos to him. The odds were in his favor. But for even as little as 10 pounds or $10, you could be entered into the next raffle. Actually, as little as one. 
even one pound. We have one person uh, who's who, who just was a little cheeky and donated one pound. Who was that? To the show, but you know, we'll take it. <laughs> who the hell was who? What you kind can't of cheeks? name him. Don't who's the don't name him. Who's the cheap? Should, I, should I publicly embarrass? Name and shame. <laughs> I'll just say I'll just say JB. You know who you are. That guy there. Whoever <laughs> donated that pound. That, how dare you? Poor guy. How dare you? Next time, uh, we'll be uh, giving away that uh, Dortmund program, the uh, 2012 grand prize, that is. Remember, all of you who've donated, you're in, but we've had some repeat donators, too, and you, the more you donate, the more raffle points you get. Some great prizes, and what about this, Macaulay? At London, we should be able to sort something really special out as well, right? Yeah, I hope so. Well, not only that, uh, we'll be having lots of fun in London. We'll have, uh, I hope we'll do another full English Blitz game. On the Giants' side. I'm all over the Blitz game. I'm a little scared after what happened last time, but uh, maybe we'll have to give it a go. And you can watch the live commentary, of course, every day from December 1st to December 10th. But uh, speaking of London, uh, there was another major event in London, the first Grand Prix tournament of the coming cycle. I, I of course, have a lot to say about that, but uh, I do it in my forthcoming New In Chess Magazine story, which will be out in December. But uh, while I was there, I had an interesting little chat with uh, Alexander Grishuk, uh, who was a, v- a veteran of the Grand Prix series before, and uh, he told me a funny story that uh, I didn't know uh, about uh, that last series, and also shared some thoughts on the current state of the Grand Prix. Because I have already some experience playing this Grand Prix. Right. I played the last series. I mean, even, I even uh, <laughs> I even sort of qualified to candidates matches thanks to this Grand Prix because uh, Carlson declined to play. And uh, I mean, okay, in this previous one, I completely wasted one tournament because I got a pneumonia during it. I didn't even know it's pneumonia until one month later when I just, okay, I have a temperature for one month, then I finally went to doctor and he said, ah, okay, I sort of congratulate you, you have pneumonia, but it's almost finished. I mean, <laughs> you wow. just, okay, I will give you some pills, and but it's almost finished already. Yes, so I, I completely screwed one tournament. But which, which uh, tournament was that? It was Sochi, Sochi uh-huh. tournament. And I played like half of the tournament, 39 uh, Celsius. Yeah, wow. And uh, yes, so of course, it's every tournament, it's important to score as many points as possible. But mm-hmm. I don't have, I, I, I'm not really following it very closely. I don't even know how many people qualify from the Grand Prix, one or two. I mean, they can also change during. So. Yeah. <laughs> because last Grand Prix started it was just one guy qualifying then it was two and then okay Carlson declined so it was actually the third guy me qualifying so you never know what do you think uh, generally about the series you know because uh, Carlson and Roni and Kremnik all declined I mean for various reasons does that um, do you think that hurts the the prospects of the series in some sense definitely it hurts series, definitely, but it's not a responsibility of, I mean, it's definitely not a responsibility at all of the players who yeah. play the series. And also, I don't, I mean, I think the conditions are quite decent, even for the top guys. I mean, yes, maybe they earn a bit less money than they do in, I don't know, this London Classics, Tile Memorial, this Grand Slam. Right. Well, there's more money on the Grand Prix points, on the winners, 
the Grand Prix? No, I mean, even with it, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, in fact, top chess players uh, are a bit spoiled. In fact, they earn uh, really a lot. And uh, here, if, even if you, let's say, win all tournaments, win the whole series, I mean, money-wise, maybe it's not enough for them. I mean, they probably earn more in just their regular tournaments. But uh, still, I think the conditions are very decent, and it's their choice. So what did he say he had? What, what was Pneumonia. This? He had pneumonia. He had pneumonia, wow. Right. What he was saying as well about the conditions is something I'm not really privy to. I think with uh, with Aegon now organising this thing, I, I you know I think they're looking for to really make this a professional professional feel. And Stephen will agree. You know, even the top tournaments sometimes we get grandmasters playing in you know in school basketball courts. You know. Chess players are fantastic geniuses. I mean, the top, these guys are geniuses and they deserve to play in the most spectacular of venues. And I think, I think we're going to see that. So I think all in all, these guys have got a, a good deal. You mentioned chess players playing in basketball courts. How about a boxing ring? As well. How about that? I've actually been to one of these things, believe I've actually commentated at one of these things, believe it or not. We're talking about the international sport of chess boxing. Actually, you know, chess boxing has only been around a few years, and it's been growing like gangbusters, spreading into new cities. London being one of the epicenters of the chess boxing movement. While uh, while I was there for the Grand Prix, right before the rest day, actually uh, took a couple of the players, Anish Giri and his second Dutch Grandmaster Robin van Kampen, and uh, also Gawain Jones came. Stuart Conquest turned up, and Matthew Sadler, we found uh, in the audience, just uh, happened to have dropped by as well, didn't, didn't even know he was going to be there. We saw a couple of bouts, and then uh, afterwards... I uh, convinced Stuart Conquest and Matthew Sadler to play some blitz in the boxing ring. We have some photos and even the uh, game score uh, from that on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the FEB. But afterwards, I uh, caught up with the winner of the night of the main bout, whose name is Andy Costello, nicknamed The Rock. You know him? I do. I, he's one of the guys I compensated on when I did it at the uh, at the Boston, which is an event not only where um, they do chess boxing, but where actually you can have a very good night of New York style salsa. But that's another story. Well, here's a, a little bit of my chat with uh, Andy Costello following his win, which uh, was against the the European champion Gianluca Circe. And so, how many uh, chess boxing bouts have you done? I think that was my eighth. What is your chess background? My chess background was mainly as a junior. I played for Devon Juniors. Um, it was a tournament, a good junior tournament player up to the age of about 12. At the age of 12, my BCF was 1-2-1. One, one. Um, so I was, I, was, I was on schedule for you know, a, good, a good sort of grade, but um, filtered off into other things. Now, you must have some, uh, you have a boxing trainer or somebody who's coaching you yeah. in, in your corner, right? Do you also have a chess trainer in your corner? No, that wouldn't be allowed. You're not allowed to get any, any sort of advice on the chess, just on the boxing. Huh. But uh, outside of, of a match, do you, uh, do you have someone who's uh, coaching you and help you improve your game at all? No, it's something I should do. I play a lot online, but I've kind of plateaued. Uh, I, I, need, I need some further instruction. Where do you play online? Chess.com. Under the pseudonym of the Mighty Zohan. 
The Mighty Zohan. Yeah, okay, I think I might have seen that. I'm Macaulay Peterson on, on testosterone. Oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah. It's a big chess tournament going on uh, at Simpsons in the Strand. It's uh, uh, actually an international tournament. Some of the grandmasters who were there were here tonight watching, uh, really? watching you guys oh, fight. Yeah. No, they wouldn't have been too impressed with my game. Well, your game was better than the, than the, the first uh, uh, yeah, match. Yeah, 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 you should have seen me back in the day. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, what do you think of this, of this sport? I mean, is, is this... Uh, a growing sport, you you get you start gaining popularity. People recognize you from this at all? Or? Well, at the events, I, I think it's growing in popularity as a spectator sport uh, because they're so much fun to watch. Um, but as a participant sport, as you know, chess is really hard to master, and boxing is a really tough sport as well. So the number of people who are willing to participate publicly in both. I think he's, he's inevitably going to be limited. Well, I know uh, one or two of, of the grandmasters were uh, saying maybe, maybe they should take up some boxing and, and give it a go. Oh, I wouldn't suggest that, much as I respect them. Which grandmasters were they? Uh, you know Simon Williams? He's a, he's a pretty big guy, actually, and, and right? he's actually started doing some, some training, some boxing, but, but he's also a grandmaster. Okay. So. Back in my day, the guys, uh, Tony Miles... Ray Keane, Michael Steen, Nigel Short was up and coming. These are the kind of guys that, uh, while I was in touch, and really on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I think we're kind of a generation behind now. So what do you think, Simon Williams, chess boxing champion? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> give him a few pints, key his car, and he'll be ready to go. It takes a bit of training, doesn't it? But I'm sure he'd be, uh, he'd be one of the first to give it a go. I reckon, like, I reckon me against Lawrence would be yeah, a... Yeah, but you're pretty ripped right now. I mean... No, stop it. You That's are. Not, you are. The, it's not you've the got case. the gym board going on. I haven't seen the gym in months. I reckon if we both went in with a bit of training... With a bit of training, but I don't... There's one problem I've got with chess boxing is I don't like getting hit, really, at all. Oh. Oh, oh no. Yeah, I'm one of those ones. Oh. Oh. Um, I haven't got a good nose. My dad said I should never be a boxer. I haven't got a, a boxing nose. You need a nice flat no. nose because it'll just get broke all the time. Although I've uh, certainly contemplated doing boxing training purely to get fit, I've, it's not for me, Steve. I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. <laughs> well, there you go, Macaulay. All right, and there we go. I think that does it for this episode of The Full English Breakfast. But please join us in London at the Chess Classic for the first uh, 10 days of December. We'll have uh, lots of fun there and lots to talk about uh, after the show. Superb. Well, look, it's been a pleasure, guys. Really enjoyed it tonight. All right, cheers, guys. Look forward to catching up with you both soon. Well, however you, Lawrence, what's your weight? Oi, you don't ask a lady that.